What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three keyboard warriors with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined by my best pals, Matt Johnson and Keith Baker. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing really well. You know, I feel like that's kind of a, just the response <laughs> these days. You know, life seemingly at a standstill. Not much to say, so whenever people ask, I just say, doing good. Same as always. And that's no exception here, but that being said... I am still super excited for today's topic. I think there could be some hot takes here, which are always fun on our show. So excited to jump into it. Keith, I got to bring you in as well. How the hell are you? I'm doing good. Kind of same with you, Matthew. I don't know what else to say, really. I'm doing (laughs) fine. Just going going through the motions. Yes. And I guess we can announce that Keith is now officially a COVID survivor. He got it and he beat it. Wow. (laughs) Good job, Keith. Good job. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Yep. (laughs) And also, didn't miss an episode. That's how much of a warrior Keith is. He was recording, doing the pod, while he had COVID running through his system. He had nothing else to do. He was just locked in his bedroom for two (laughs) weeks, so he had no reason to miss. If if anything, I was more prepared to do a podcast when COVID. (laughs) Exactly. You're just stuck in your room. Uh, Before we get into our content today, Keith, I do think we have a little bonus series that we got to tell the audience about yeah so we are still talking uh the mandalorians uh season two yeah so episode six just came out and episode seven will be coming out next sunday so keep an eye out for that well as always whenever we enter the mandalorian much like when we did the boys season two review we were the boys talking the boys very organic name very easy made sense um, but for Mandalorian, it's a bit tougher. So for right now, we're the Mandos talking the Lorian, and we are absolutely open to your feedback because I want this title to change next season. I don't ever want to say this again. Um, it, it makes my skin crawl. But happy to be recording these episodes. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Um, okay, let's go ahead and get into it. On today's show, we've got a spiritual sequel on our hands. As you may know, a few weeks ago, we had a thrilling discussion about some of our favorite underrated movies, truly one of the best episodes we've ever put out, ever recorded. So of course, as with any successful piece of work, we've created an unnecessary sequel, and it is now time to discuss some movies that we think are overrated. Matt, anything you want to say before we get into it? Well, I guess first, did anybody go back and watch anybody's like underrated movies between then and now i already forgot what y'all's movies were so besides (laughs) so i don't think i've watched them you probably haven't but that's okay that's okay because i think we've all seen everybody's movies today i'm pretty sure most of these we probably saw together at some point so this will be a good conversation i think when we did our underrated episode that was kind of fun because i think all of those movies on that list genuinely are underrated or underseen or just underappreciated in some way and we just wanted to you know let people know what we thought so they could go out and discover them themselves so basically what i'm saying is that episode wasn't too controversial if you think about it i mean saying a movie deserves more praise nothing wrong with that this on the other hand doing overrated i was looking through the list today of these six movies and Definitely some uh, loved movies in here for sure. So this one I think might stir the pot a bit. We're certainly going to have people on this panel disagreeing for sure when I'm sure when it comes to certain aspects and I'm sure people out there listening will disagree as well. So this one could get a bit heated. Uh, We'll see what happens. And if you do disagree with us today, send your rage our way. Shoot us a message at the Arnie's on Instagram. There you go. We'll read it (laughs) and maybe say it. If we like it. Now we'll say it. We have nothing else to do. All 
why don't you start us off today? Give us your first overrated movie. Mm. So I was trying to figure out if I was going to have like a theme to these movies, because whenever we did underrated movies, I ended up picking two of my favorite um basically sci-fi fantasy type films i picked gattaca and cloud atlas i was like i wonder if there's a theme i could do today what are like some similar movies if you will maybe it's genre or whatever it may be that i don't like and i made a little list and i wasn't loving it but there were two that stuck out because of one obvious connection so today both my picks are two probably at least for me the most overrated superhero movies of course superhero movies are all the rage these days so why not stir the pot with a genre that everybody likes to have fun with so my first one this is probably the least controversial of my two i think people genuinely don't love this movie but it certainly has its fans and it's the dark knight rises guys the dark knight rises yes the third film and Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, or I guess the Dark Knight trilogy, starring, as we know, Christian Bale, Tom Hardy, Gary Oldman, Anne Hathaway, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, and the like. But before I get into this, I mean, is this a crazy take to you guys? I mean, are you with me on this being overrated? I don't think it's crazy. I think it is definitely probably the, the lesser of the three. But it does hurt a little bit because mm-hmm. this is a film that the three of us waited 12 hours in line to see together. Yeah, we did. This was uh, <laughs> maybe, I guess, the last time we went to a midnight premiere because I remember uh, this would have been right before I went off to college. And I guess within like a year, actually, it might have been the following year is whenever movie theaters started doing that thing where, you know, quote unquote, midnight premieres actually ended up being they could come out at 5 p.m. <laughs> on the Thursday. So I remember like the following summer, we would just go see all the movies we were excited to see like on Thursday night, as opposed to waiting hours and hours in line like we did. So this movie definitely holds a a special place in my heart for that reason. I remember the three of us saw it together. You know, I loved it. I thought it was the best thing in the world. I was fighting sleep. I had to wake up two hours after I got home so we get my wisdom teeth pulled. Um, So it's (laughs) certainly a memorable film going experience. Like Austin said, I don't think most people consider this to be the best of this trilogy. Now, maybe some people think it's better than Batman Begins. I'm certainly not one of those people, but maybe it's the second or third. My point being, nobody thinks this is the best. But that being said, it seems to me that most people still kind of lump this in when it comes to the praise that the trilogy as a whole gets. Whereas for me, the reason I put it as overrated is... I feel like this is considerably worse than the other two. Like, to me, Batman Begins is amazing. Dark Knight is amazing. And this one is, uh, it's okay. I I think it's bad, actually, at some point. So It just feels forced. Yeah, it's not up there with the other two for me, is my point. And it feels like someone else directed it at times. It has one of the dumbest third acts whenever they introduce this whole Bane bomb plot. But they basically give Batman enough time to recuperate because the bomb won't go off for six months. And then the last minute villain, the main villain, I guess, being shoved in, just reducing Bane's role to kind of a a puppet, essentially. And like I said, I wanted to love this movie so much. There were few movies in my entire life, I guess, that I was more looking forward to. Because if you guys remember, this took four years to come out after The Dark Knight. Like there was like, are we going to get another one? There was kind of we didn't know for a little bit. So I wanted to love it. I love the trailers. But like I said, I just like this movie less and less each time I watch it. So what are your guys' reactions to that? What do you think about Tom Hardy in this movie? Because I think he's really good with what he's got to work with. But this is one of the things where I think kind of the realistic take on this trilogy kind of hurt this movie specifically trying to do Bane. I think he does fine in the role as Bane. But I think seeing like a real like comic booky 
Bane would have been more interesting to see on screen. Yeah, I mean, it was a cool interpretation for the Nolan trilogy, this realistic grounded trilogy. They did some cool things to make it actually feel like Bane. So I guess that was cool. But for me, what it comes down to, regardless of any of that is... Look, there's a reason for the last eight years that people just do these ridiculous vocal impersonations of this character because it's silly. It's stupid. Like, it's ridiculous. You can never get over it once the movie starts. Bane traditionally in the comics is portrayed as from South America or Spanish or like from the Caribbean. And they cast Tom Hardy, this British guy who the way he, I guess, thought I'll make it sound like the comics is he does this just incomprehensible accent. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if that was his way to like pay homage to the origins of the character. I have no clue, but it's just ridiculous. So yeah, to answer that question, I think Tom Hardy physically, and for Bane, I guess that deserves some props. The fact that he does kind of fit this crazy physical villain that Batman has to go up against that, that worked, but yeah, just the actual, the voice and the way the character is used, like I said, like when the end at the end, whenever they reveal that he's not the main villain and it he kind of has this really lame death where he just gets shot off screen, almost like a Looney Tunes cartoon. It definitely kind of loses its luster by the end. I am full agreement. This movie was not the strongest out of the three. On the other hand, though, it did have some strong scenes that I really liked in it, like the Bane uh, plane scene at the beginning. I thought that was cool. Bane breaking Batman's back and... Bruce successfully making out of the uh, cave, I thought was pretty cool, like his comeback story. And while I did like those scenes, I don't know if they, you know, made up for the overall movie. Right. And I, th- I think they kind of, it kind of fell short. So what do you, what do you guys think? I think the biggest issue with this movie is anytime you try to look any deeper than the actual service level of the film, it tends to fall apart. Like, ex- like especially timeline wise, like oh. the time structure yeah. of this movie makes no sense. So I just think it starts to fall apart if you try to like think about it critically after you see it at all. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I think Keith makes a great point. I mean, I think undoubtedly this movie has some of the, I think by nature of being the final act of this trilogy and just just with Christopher Nolan at the helm, some of some of the highest points of the entire trilogy are in this movie, at least for me. I mean, Batman's return, talk about hype. Whenever, after eight years, he finally comes back and this older cop who's riding with, um, I guess maybe, I don't think it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, it's just a younger cop, but clearly this guy knew who Batman was when he was operating and ever Batman rides by, the lights come out and that awesome Hans Zimmer theme that we made fun of in our musical score brackets, it's just the same shit over and over again, but it works in this scene. And whenever the older cop is just like, oh, you're in for a treat tonight, it's like, oh, that's awesome. Um, There's amazing scenes. I'm going to talk about the Batman Alfred dynamic. That's just one of my favorite bits of acting I've seen in a long time whenever they basically say their goodbye. And yeah, there's so many great hype moments. But ultimately, like what Keith said, I think, do they make up for it? No. And that's because this is almost a three hour movie stuffed with so much other boring shit that unfortunately, by the end, I think it kind of drowns out those amazing moments. Do you think they could have done more with... uh... Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. I think she's one of the better parts yeah. of this movie. Yeah, I, I like I like a lot of her stuff. She has this kind of weird storyline that gets a bit confusing because she's like trying to, I guess, frame the mayoral candidate. I don't remember. But the point is she has this weird kind of separate storyline that takes a while to actually connect with the main plot. But once it does, I think it's kind of cool. Like once, you know, we see her actual fear of Bane, what that means when she betrays Batman and that leading to Bat- uh, Bane breaking Batman's back. Uh, that sentence is always hard. Bane breaking Bratman's back. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I actually quite like Anne Hathaway in the role. 
So I love her uh, costume design too. When she flicks up the goggles, it forms the cat ears. Yeah, but to Keith's point, while there's so much great stuff to love here, so many hype moments, I just find, like I said, most of the other elements odd. Like Catwoman's whole subplot with the mayor, like I just mentioned. Bane gets worse whenever they reveal he's just a puppet. His plan doesn't make sense. This whole weird thing where he's so gung ho about you know fulfilling Ra's al Ghul's destiny, as he yells in that one scene, fulfilling Ra's al Ghul's destiny. But uh, like in his, in his whole plan, like it's like, OK, this is going to be cool. He's going to send Batman to this prison that you can't escape from. And he's just going to take over Gotham. Um, And then what that plan leads to is I have a bomb. I'm going <laughs> to set it on a six month timer. It's like, why? And then he just like sends the bomb driving around Gotham, giving Batman half a year to recuperate and escape and come back and beat him. Just seems weird. And then, uh, of course, just the whole ending. I like. You know, the Batman sacrificing himself, but it's shot so poorly. They literally do a close-up of his face about to drop the bomb. And then it cuts to a wide shot where five seconds pass. And then it just blows up. So people always argue, like, how did he get out of there? And it's like, I mean, it's a fair argument because they show him inside the plane. And then five seconds later, it blows up. So he escaped. <laughs> he escaped a hydrogen atomic bomb in five seconds. But... There's just so many. And that's kind of what I mean about like anytime you look below the surface of this movie, it just leads to more questions like and that's even more like a time thing. Like, how did he get away in five seconds? How did he go to the other side of the world and make it back in time to save the city? Like anytime, any anytime you try to question time in this movie, it just really causes it to fall apart. Yeah. And then some of the forced elements to kind of wrap up the trilogy are some of my least favorite. As you guys know, we've joked about it, but seriously, it it makes the movie so much worse watching it. I love the introduction to John Blake, a.k.a. Robin, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, because his I know Austin might appreciate this. But his, his intro is basically, you know, the third Robin, Tim Drake's intro, which is this new kid fresh off Jason Todd's death in the comics basically just goes to Wayne Manor and is like, Bruce Wayne, you're Batman. I figured it out. Here's why. And just lists off all these obvious reasons that anybody else would pick up on. But nobody did. So this little kid just figured out he's Batman. Dick Grayson, you're Nightwing. You were the first Robin. And then he has to save them from Two-Face. It's this really cool moment. And they do that in the movie, basically. He's like, hey, everybody knows, like, or nobody knows that you're Batman. But I do. Here's why. I love that intro and the kind of this dynamic that forms between them. But as the movie goes on, it's like, are they setting this guy up for something? And his whole thing is he accidentally... And to escape a fight, he kills two guards. Um, and then he's also the mastermind behind sending all the cops underground <laughs> together to go find Bane, which gets them all trapped. And then at the end of the movie, he does two more things where he's like, I don't know why Batman's already back, but he goes to the sewer and he's like, hey, guys, here, come on. I got you. out. I'm getting you out. And then he gets caught. And then the bad guys throw a grenade down the sewer, killing everybody he just tried to save. And then at the very end, he tries to get he tries to get the kids off the bridge uh, in the bus. And then they're like, stop, don't come any closer. And he's like, guys, he has his hands up and he's like, it's just kids. We're going to get out of here. And they're like, Don't come any closer. And he keeps walking towards them. And they blow up the bridge. Um. And this guy becomes Batman. <laughs> Bruce Wayne, the entire movie is like, he saw all these four isolated incidents and was like, he should be Batman. This guy sucks. Well, you know what they say. Try and try until you succeed. Do they? Yeah, that's it, right? Isn't that the saying? I guess. If ever- oh, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Take an apple a day. <laughs> uh all right, so before we move on, um, you know, obviously this movie was heavily impacted by the death of Heath Ledger. Uh, we now know with some time removed that Joker was supposed to play a role in the third movie, kind of like antagonizing Batman from court and prison. 
you know, obviously with his death, they had to scramble and kind of come up with a whole new plan. So do you think, now that we can look at the whole trilogy as a whole, do you think they should have delayed this movie even longer than they did? Do you think they should have ended it with The Dark Knight? Um, what do you think about that? Joker's not the only Batman yeah. villain. You know, there's so much they can do with Batman. They can bring Penguin in, the Riddler. So they have so many options they can go with. So no, I don't think it. they should have ended it just because Heath Ledger died. Well, we do feel bad about that. And I do think that Dark Knight is the best one out of the trilogy because of him. But, I mean, there's so much you can do. It's Batman. So, yeah, yeah of course, you can go make something different. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I think um, a lot of people got caught up in you know, Nolan's comments about that. And I guess they thought that Joker was going to be the main villain. But that never seemed to be the case. Uh, definitely, Heath Ledger would have been in the movie. So we were robbed of, of course, with tragic circumstances and some more amazing scenes, I'm sure. But and I think, yeah, maybe elements of the movie did change. I mean, was the plan for Batman to always be in exile for eight years? Of course, by the end of Dark Knight, it would have made sense that he go he goes into some sort of exile. But who knows how long? So, yeah, elements of the movie changed for sure. But I'm glad they made it. Like I said, there's still good moments in it. It is certainly overrated for me, but I do like it. And, you know, I guess maybe they could have done something with a different villain. I have no idea. I just don't really love Bane by the end, so it's hard to say if another villain could have fit this kind of closing act of a trilogy more. I don't know. Well, moving on here, the movie I've got to talk about today is a movie that I genuinely have never understood the hype for, and it is Paranormal Activity. Um, this is a movie that stars Katie Featherston and uh, Michael Sloat. Um, it's directed by Oren Pelly, and it follows a couple who believes their house to be haunted, um, and so in order to kind of prove this, they start recording all aspects of their days and nights to try to catch whatever is happening on camera. You know, obviously the main gimmick for this movie is the found footage aspect. Um, I remember when it first came out, people acted like this was the first time they've ever seen found footage in a horror movie. And it kind of got like the reputation of like the scariest thing ever made because it's real. And I just never understood that. I don't find any of the scares effective. And I don't think anything they do with the camera is all that creative either. Yeah, this was the first successful movie really that had found footage. Because remember, I don't know if you guys have seen, have you guys ever seen the VHS movies? I saw the first one. Well, there's those. And then there's, there's also, which is also, I think, more creative than this. Yeah. And then there's Cloverfield. Yeah. I mean, there's Blair Witch. Like there's a ton of movies that came before this that I think every single one of those is better than this one. Yeah, this one is a bit overhyped. And yeah, they did kind of act like it was the first of its kind too. Yeah, I've only seen this one once. I saw, you know, whenever the hype was around it, but it definitely, you're right. It doesn't feel very creative. I do think, you know, that's part of the point, but definitely the sequels kind of use the whole found footage aspect a bit better. I think the third one, especially, I actually really enjoyed, but this one does feel very bare bones and, and cheap. And like I said, I don't even mean that in a bad way. Um, I thought it was creepy, but I agree. It didn't live up to the hype in terms of being, you know, the quote, scariest thing ever, but I do like that it was made to feel real and that it actually does kind of feel like real people being affected as opposed to just actors. And then I did like that the whole, and this is something for the entire series, I believe, at least from what I've seen, but the whole found footage aspect is an integral part of the story. Like they're using, you know, putting up cameras to try and find out why they're being haunted. So I thought that was pretty cool. It's so mundane though. No, it is. Like yeah. neither one of these leads are very charismatic or compelling. I don't think either one of these actors can carry a movie. No. Um, Micah is just a dick who thinks he knows it all. Katie is a little bit better of a character, but she still just kind of exists to be there and be like, hey, Micah, stop recording me. Micah, don't buy a Ouija board. I just don't buy into their relationship at all. And so for this movie to really only be about these two people, I feel like you really have to buy the characters. And it just doesn't seem like they care about each other at all. Yeah, this 
This one definitely does not carry the entire series. I think the third one is the best and probably the scariest out of all four or five that we have now. Yeah. But yeah, this one was just more annoying. Like you said, Austin, the couple were annoying. They, the chemistry with them was not that great. Uh, and the, I will admit, when I first watched this movie, it did kind of freak me out a bit because I just I wasn't a big horror movie guy, so I was freaked out by anything at that time. But then once I watched it a few more times growing older, it just didn't hit those same buttons for me. I mean, the scares aren't even that creative. It's creepy noises. It's it's them sleepwalking. It's it's an Ouija board moving itself. Like it's stuff that we've seen in yeah. countless other horror movies before. Um, the big scare of the movie is when Micah listens back to a recording, asking the ghost questions, and you hear a grunting noise. Like it's not even like a scary demonic voice. So like I just never understood the hype about this movie at all. I will say I'll try to say one positive thing about this movie. I do appreciate that uh, the studio kind of bought into the found footage aspect of this. Like I, I do appreciate like the beginning of the movie before the credits even open. It says like Paramount studios would like to thank uh, the family for this footage. And then at the end, I think it says like in loving memory or something like that. So yeah. I do kind of appreciate that. Yeah. They wanted people to think it was real, which was kind of cool. Kind of playing off the whole Blair Witch stuff, which was kind of this fun little gimmick that, you know, is it real? Is it not? Obviously we know, but it's still fun that the studio wanted to kind of play around with that. Alrighty, let's jump into 2009's Avatar, starring Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, Sigourney Weaver, and Stephen Lang, and directed by James Cameron, and so it's a marine force dispatched to the planet Pandora, the native Navi are at odds with the marines who are harvesting their homeworld of its natural resources. Our main marine, uh, Jake, played by Sam Worthington, begins to bomb with the natives until he is eventually forced to pick a side. So what it is, he's he's a paralyzed guy, or used to be a Marine, and uh, they are able to download his consciousness, along with Sigourney Weaver's consciousness, into their own avatars. So, yeah, I remember when I went to go see, or before I went to go see this movie, this movie was getting a ton of hype for its visual effects combined with 3D. Like, it was supposed to be, like, the first of its kind doing this. And I will admit that it was different visually from, you know, any movie effects I'd ever I'd ever seen at the time. It was CGI combined with 3D, which is pretty cool. Is it really that different, though? Like, is it any know. different than stuff that we see in Star Wars? I don't think it is. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I was like, is was it, you know, was it really that, like, digitally distinguished? Or is it just Hollywood fluff just to promote I mean, I think it kind of was. I mean, the way the char- the Navi character designs work and how that kind of, they're influenced both visually by the actors and how they move was certainly different. I mean, the main point is, uh, I think, just to put it simply, everything looked like shit before. The prequels looked like garbage. They looked like garbage. Then they looked like garbage now. Um, somehow Avatar, I agree it's overrated, but somehow it still looks... It holds up. I don't I don't get how they did it. I mean, James Cameron, say what you want about him, but he at least understands visuals and how to make that work. So I think that's the difference for me is it just looks so much consistently better. It kind of set, um, I guess it was the major stepping stone for other people to kind of utilize some of this digital 3D elements to include in their movies. And then, I yeah, I think like the mocap and the way they use the faces of the actors, maybe that was a big deal at the time, but I don't fully remember. Yeah, I guess I just never noticed a huge difference in like the quality level of this film versus other. Yeah, we were also younger at the time, so it's kind of hard to say. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I would I would say it's more of a theatrical movie because you had to wear the 3D glasses to really get into all of the effects of it. Because if you just watch it at home without the 3D, then it does look like any normal. Yeah, I guess also it should be mentioned that the, basically this whole movie is effects. Maybe that's also part of it as well. I mean, there's really 
never not some crazy visual effects, whether it be in the background. I mean, they basically created the world of Pandora. I know that sounds cheesy and like Hollywood fluff, but I mean, whenever they say that, it is kind of true. I mean, they created a whole world. It's not just like, I don't know, like another example where there's just like a visual effect during one scene, but everything else is practical, for example. Also, it was the first time that I actually kind of didn't mind 3D. I mean, it didn't really feel like a gimmick. It was just like you put on the glasses and actually it felt like things were a bit more vibrant and popped. Whereas with like Spy Kids 3D game over, they're just like <laughs> shoving their hand at you through the screen. It's like, yeah. This is stupid. <laughs> no, yeah. The, the 3D for this one was definitely better than any 3D movie I'd been to, for sure. I kind of agree with you, though, Keith. I think the best visuals of all time or changing the way movies are made i think a lot of that was just a way to market the movie that's that was my main point i think i think they did a good job with the effects it's just to me they were acting like it was groundbreaking uh but what about the story i thought the story was just okay do you think they could have done more as far as the sci-fi goes or do you think they did they do a good job with the overall like ships and space and finding new planets and all that kind of stuff i mean it's a pretty generic uh love story i'd say i think there are some really cool sci-fi elements to this movie especially the avatar stuff um i think the story itself i mean it's pretty easy to predict what's going to happen um you know they're going to fall in love he's going to end up picking the side of the navi that he's fallen in love with so in terms of that stuff i think it does follow kind of a lot of those romantic tropes and and typical stuff that we see in in these sort of sci-fi romantic movies i will say though i am really excited to see what they're going to do in the sequels i think for this one, James Cameron was really more focused on having the groundbreaking technology to make this movie, and I, I think that's where he put a lot of his energy. So I am I am excited to see how he continues to develop this storyline and and how these worlds continue to develop as well. Yeah, me too. I actually agree with true, that. True, true. Um, well, anyway, yeah, like we said, I think this still holds up amazingly well visually. I'm surprised. I guess I – and I've never been big on Avatar, but maybe I'm a bit positive on it. I do feel like a lot of the tech was really groundbreaking and has changed the way movies, TV, video games, all that stuff is made, whether it be with mocap or just the way backgrounds and stuff moves. Like I thought it was awesome. But that all being said, I totally agree when it comes to the story. It felt like James Cameron was so focused on creating so much of this visual stuff that some of the story had to be recycled from the past. That being said, I've always found it impressive that for, I guess, what, almost 10 years or maybe 11? I can't remember when it was broken originally. 11 But years. yeah, um, the idea that this original IP, there was never, you know, this isn't a sequel to something called Avatar. It's just Avatar. It made over $2 billion at the box office. It held that record for a decade. Um, and I, I always found that cool. Um, it is, like we said, also a movie that I feel like opened the eyes to a lot of people like <sighs> – the whole idea that most content is just taking stuff from the past and repurposing it. I don't know why this movie was kind of what opened the well. Maybe it's because it was so popular and made so much money and everybody saw it. But I mean, what about all the stuff they said? It's just dances with wolves with blue people, etc. So I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think it is a big reason why it is considered overrated is because once you maybe watch it, you know, twice, I guess, and you kind of understand the whole visual elements, how all that works, once you start going past that, it's, yeah, it's just re- revolutionary effects with a pretty familiar story. And I think people felt that every aspect should be revolutionary. So, yeah, I get why it's overrated. I still do appreciate it, but I don't love watching it beyond the visuals. I have a question I'd like to pose to the group. So, Matt, you said this movie made $2 billion, and, and that is really cool for it being kind of an original work. Do you think a big portion of that is because James Cameron's name was attached to it? And also, is he one of the more overrated directors as well? So James Cameron's interesting. I think, yeah, to answer Austin's question right off the bat, um, I think, yeah, James Cameron's name being attached to this 
is a big deal, and there is one specific reason that I'll get to, but here's his filmography. First of all, he hasn't made a movie since Avatar, which was kind of cool. I think he's just, he bides his time, and he makes a movie when he wants to, and whenever the technology is ready, he has more money than God, and he's like kind of a, I think, he probably considers himself a god in the industry, so he can kind of just do whatever he wants whenever, but... He also can't get his mind off the blue people. I know, I know. It's just, he's dreaming about it, he's eating it, he's sleeping it. So here we go. The, he's been active in the industry since the early 80s, and here's his movies. Piranha 2, The Spawning. Who the hell knows what that is? Ugh. But right off the bat, right after that, <laughs> he directs the fucking Terminator. Then Aliens, then The Abyss... Then T2 Judgment Day, then True Lies, then the big one is Titanic. The fact that Titanic was like the second or third highest grossing movie of all time up until that point was another big reason why people were going to go see another kind of visual feast that James Cameron was directing. So I think that's a big part of the money as well. Well, this is a good question, Austin, because I actually almost put Titanic on this list. Uh, oh. in, in place of Irishman. So maybe James Cameron is falling into that overrated... But Keith, you're a classics guy, and I, I gotta assume with you being a classics guy, you gotta love the Terminator series. Yeah. I do like the Terminator series. I like all the Arnie movies, like True Lies. I like those movies. I will admit that. But those are those are fun movies, they're, and they're all action. Titanic is just like a... I think the only good part of the Titanic is the ship sinking. <laughs> I don't like. I don't. It like, looks. It looks cool, dude. I don't like cool. the love story with Jack and Rose. I thought that was lame. The only thing I think about with Titanic is the ship splitting in half and everyone falling down the ship. I think it looks so cool. I know you're not supposed to enjoy that part of the movie. I know, dude, but it, it looks it, sweet. I think James Cameron wanted us to. Yeah, if everybody's really honest with themselves, that's the part of Titanic they like the most is when the ship's sinking. Because that's the whole story of Titanic. You don't like when Bill Paxton tries to coerce the old Rose into giving him that necklace. <laughs> and then she's like, let me tell you a story. We can do a whole episode on Titanic, I'm sure. Keith, yes or no, is James Cameron overrated? I would say somewhat. I'm not going to say yes or no. Ooh, I think some of his movies... Ground. Uh, yeah, I think some of his movies are overrated, but some of them are... I'll say his older movies are better than his newer movies. Not at all. The Terminator, Aliens, T2, True Lies, all those movies are, to me, not only some of my favorite movies, but some of the best movies ever made. It's hard not to look at this guy's filmography and go, you know what? He really changed the way that action movies were made, and he made them a more viable genre. Like, T2 is considered one of the best movies of all time because it is just an action movie with really kind of cool elements that weren't there at the time. He takes sci-fi, all this amazing stuff. So, for me, these are some of the best movies of all time. And Titanic, sure, I get it. The, the love story is a bit silly, but I still find it good at times. And, you know, whenever it gets to the actual Titanic stuff, it's it's pretty impressive to watch even still today and like i said avatar do i love the story no but visually 11 years later it is still absolutely exciting and cool and vibrant and engaging to watch so yeah i gotta say no i think he's made too many amazing films to can be considered overrated for me i'm gonna agree with matt as well i think uh james cameron has kind of become synonymous with the avatar I guess we'll call it a franchise, even though the remaining films haven't come out yet. Um, but I think people do kind of tend to forget the entirety of his work and the impact he really has made um, on the filmmaking industry as a whole. That could change, though, because he wants to make four Avatar sequels that apparently are almost all done shooting, but none of them have come out. So, I mean, we'll yeah, see what happens so we'll 10 have years to, We'll now. have to reevaluate whenever, yeah. 10 years later, we'll, we'll repose this question and, and when we can look at more of the Avatar yeah, films. Yeah, because he's really going all in. It's like, that's what he wants to make, I guess, so more power to him but four i guess we'll see
my second movie for the day. This is one of my least favorite superhero movies. I think it's so overrated. And we're going to the MCU, which might scare some people. What is Matt going to say is overrated from the MCU? And I'll tell you, it's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Starring Chris Pratt, Bradley Cooper, Zoe Saldana, Kurt Russell, and Vin Diesel as Groot. We'll never, we'll never get past that. Baby Groot, best part of the movie. Directed by James Gunn, the Guardians struggle to keep their team together as a personal and family issues begin to arise. Star-Lord seeks information about his father, a god-slash-planet named Ego, who may not be everything he claims to be. Ooh, interesting. Spoiler alert, it's not. So, my main thing here to mention is why this movie is overrated. This is a comedy, and it's not funny. Um, when that kind of feels like their primary goal, it fails for me. Whenever I saw it in theaters, I wasn't laughing. All the best parts were in the trailer. The first felt so original and fun at the time, particularly for the MCU, as this sci-fi space opera comedy. I feel like many people find this to be better than the first, and you know, just kind of relatively pretty high in the MCU rankings. And, I mean, honestly, I just can't do it. I mean, I don't love how for a sequel, all of our characters are basically separated for the entire time after coming together just in the first one. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm alone here. Where does this one fall for you guys, and do you think it's better or worse than the first one? It's certainly not better than the first one. However, I don't think you're giving it all the credit it deserves. I still think this is a really, really fun addition to the MCU. Um, I, the comedy works for me. I, I think the soundtrack is just as great as the first one. I think Chris Pratt is still great in the lead. Bradley Cooper as Rocket. I mean, Vin Diesel as Groot. Like every, I think everyone's back doing their same fun roles from the first one. I don't love that they're separated either, but I think what they do is interesting. And I like Kurt Russell, too, as Ego. Um, certainly not as great as the first one, but I still think a really fun movie. And I think you might be uh, underselling it a, a little bit. Ooh, all right. Keith, what about you? I'm more in the middle of you two guys. There was some good stuff in this movie, but... Especially the intro, dude. The intro to this movie is awesome. No, I, would, I, I, I did like the like intro. that it's just baby Groot the whole time. I wanted to see the fight. I wanted to see the fight. But it's like, it's he kicks on the stereo and it's like, we're back. We're back in the Guardians. Like, it's kind of like a welcome home. That's almost. true. That's true. But I mean, Austin, you said it does contribute to the MCU. I'm kind of... If you, if does it contribute to the MCU or is it more of like a Quill origin story? No, I, I meant it's more of just like a, a fun addition. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think it contributes okay. to the overall MCU story. That's what I was going to ask But I do think guys. it is a fun yeah. MCU movie you can turn on and enjoy. I don't know. This movie just, it was okay. I I didn't, I wouldn't say it was bad or good. It was just kind of there. Um, I thought it kind of would have been cooler if Kurt Russell's character was good instead of bad at the end. I thought it'd been cool if he would have teamed up with his Spoiler. Son. Whoa. Yeah, spoiler. Whatever. <laughs> No, you're good, you're good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was good visually, but I just kind of found it much less underwhelming than the uh, the first. Wow, I, I didn't think you, you two were both going to be so in lockstep about this. I, I think this was a fun movie. Yeah, I guess here here's the deal. I mean, the reason it's overrated for me, like I said, is it's not funny. As a comedy, I don't laugh. I don't find it very good. If you're somebody that does, then I think simply you can't have it be overrated because the main thing worked for you. So unfortunately, the reason why this is probably in my bottom three in the MCU movies, yeah, just because its main goal, its primary focus is to make you laugh, and it didn't for me. So, and and it's going along from that, you know, as for the actual comedy, my least favorite part about this entire movie is that all the characters kind of lost their individualism from the first. Like, they don't have different senses of humor anymore. It's just all the same now. Star-Lord was the witty one. Drax took everything literally. Gamora was the straight character archetype. Rocket was crass and boisterous, and Groot was slapstick. So you got you had everything, like any type of comedy, something from the first Guardians would get to you. And here in this one, that's all gone. They're all now cracking jokes, and they seem just generally sadder because this movie is tackling all their family. But they've rubbed off on each other. 
And I get that. That that does make sense, but it doesn't work for me in terms of actual enjoyment. Like I understand the decision, but I don't find the characters like I don't like them as much anymore because they all just kind of feel the same. And like characters like Drax and Rocket, who made me laugh so much in the first one, really don't here. And just injecting characters like Nebula, who I come to like in the Avengers movies, but here using as this weird sister story, which just feels forced in as like this weird follow up from the first movie, which wasn't given enough time. And then same thing with um, this is I know this is a hot take because everybody loves the Yondu Starlord relationship. I like the line at the end when he's like, he may have been your father, boy, but he wasn't your daddy. My response is always, neither were you. You were a villain in the first movie. You hated me. <laughs> like, There's nothing in this movie that like sets up that that's actually a real emotion to have. It's an effective scene, and Michael Rooker's great, but then you just get Chris Pratt whining at the end. Oh, no! Yondu! No! One of the worst acting scenes of like a death of the character. He's just whining into camera, and it like, made me want to throw up. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, I know I'm shitting on it, but yeah, just the basically the comic doesn't work for me and the family stuff feels so forced that I, I just, yeah, I don't care. Well, you're saying the comedy doesn't work for you, but we all know what you're really saying. What? As we know from our sports bracket, <gasps> you don't like Kurt Russell. <laughs> Kurt Russell's in this movie. You're a Kurt Russell hater. And that's why this movie doesn't work. I for do you. like Kurt just Russell. I just watched the first two Christmas Chronicles movies the other day when he plays Santa and he was great. I like Kurt Russell in this movie. I think the acting is fine for some of the characters, not all of them. But Kurt Russell is a good addition. I thought that was exciting to reveal that he's the father and he's also this weird kind of planet humanoid hybrid that's looking to basically spread his influence across the galaxy and how he's done that through his children in the past was pretty scary and cool. But so I liked him, him, him as a villain, but yeah, it just wasn't enough, I guess. And I didn't find the father-son stuff that compelling just because of the way it was set up in the first one where he's been this absentee dad. He left. Peter's never met him. So then just to come together and I get he's his dad, but Peter still just completely buys into his story, doesn't listen to any of his friends that he's been with all this time. So yeah, for the most part, it just didn't work for me. I'm in agreement with you know half of each of your points. Uh, I just think Kurt Russell was a cool character. He's probably my favorite part of the movie. I just didn't like he was bad. I thought it, I thought it had been cool if he was good. And would have teamed up with them, and like went and went on to fight some different villain in the uh, the galaxy. I really wish we would have brought this newfound Kurt Russell fanfare into our Miracle versus Goon debate. Goon's better, man. It's just a better movie. <laughs> All right. Well, the next movie I have that I'd like to talk about today is the original Ghostbusters, starring Bill Murray, <laughs> Dan Aykroyd, and Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver's back again. Wow. She's back, man. She's, She's back. back. Directed by Ivan Reitman, this movie follows three professors, Peter, Raymond, and Egon, studying paranormal activities. Um, after being fired from the university, the three set up shop in an old firehouse and form their own ghost removal service called the Ghostbusters. They eventually stumble upon an evil entity trying to bring about the destruction of the world. Sounds cool, right? Too bad it's a fucking boring movie. Whoa. Yes, this is definitely the most controversial one. This is probably, out of everything on here, this is the most liked movie. Or how do I word that? This is the most, I guess, praised movie that we're calling overrated. So I'm excited for Austin to break this down. I have never, ever understood the hype for this movie. It's considered a classic. I think that's just because it's old. Uh, people are obsessed and really passionate like for their fanfare in this movie, and I don't get it, man. The story's not that interesting. All the actors seem like they're bored in their performances. Nobody's being really funny. It doesn't age well. 
Um, Bill Murray looks bored as hell in this movie, and he also plays a huge creep. I just the only person I find funny in this movie is Egon. I don't think any of the other leads are very interesting. And I don't think they do a whole lot of interesting stuff in this movie either. Just to jump into my point here, I, I wouldn't say this movie is good or bad. It just is. So like, it, it's kind of the same with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two with me. If someone asked me what do you think about it, I'll just say it's all right. I mean, it's it's entertaining. There's some funny moments for sure. I mean, you're gonna have some funny moments with Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. I don't think they're that good here though. And I'm in agreement with you there. This is not Bill Murray's finest or Dan Aykroyd's finest. And I will say, yeah, I think it's overrated. Here's what I'll say about Ghostbusters. I think it's appropriately rated. It's not underrated. It's not overrated for me. I think it's just rated. I don't, I don't yeah, I mean, I guess I wouldn't consider it a comedy classic, but I also understand why it has the reputation why? it Why? Please tell me. I don't understand. I really don't. I really don't get it. <laughs> It, to me, it's more about all how all, all the elements combine, how it is a comedy, but it is also sci-fi. There is action elements. And yeah, of course, you know, by this many years later, all of it doesn't really hold up, whether it be visually or just the way characters talk to each other. But I just love seeing Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, and Hale Dramas interact. I find their characters just fun to watch. And I like how they're kind of down on their luck and they're going <laughs> to take their old job as professors and be ghost hunters. And I do like the fun visual aspects to the way they hunt ghosts. I think it's kind of fun to watch and it holds up. There are some weird moments, which we'll have to talk about, <laughs> that they thought was okay at the time, which even for that time, I don't understand why Dan Aykroyd wanted to get a blowjob from a ghost. But, um, so that's odd. <laughs> but <laughs> I still enjoy the movie. I, I like Sigourney Weaver. You actually enjoy watching these three interact though? They seem like terrible friends. I don't... They don't seem like they enjoy being around each other at all. Yeah, that's fair. I get that. I guess for me, what it comes down to is I just like how everything kind of gels together. I like the performances enough. I like the characters enough. And I like that it's, you know, both a comedy and this sci-fi ghost hunting movie, essentially. So for me, it works. Like I said, I'm not going to say it's overrated, but I understand why people love it. Like, that's all I can really say. I just like how all the pieces fit together. I like these actors. And yeah, like Keith said... I like a lot of them in some other movies, especially ones where they're kind of the focus as opposed to here where they're part of an ensemble. But that being said, I still think they work off each other well enough. I don't think it's great. And yeah, I don't think it holds up as well as it did back then. But it, it works enough for me. That's all I'm going to say. To me, it's just one of those movies, if it's on TV and I'm flipping through channels, I might give it a watch, but it's not something I'm going to be like, oh, let's watch Ghostbusters tonight. Dude, this is a movie that if I see it's on TV, I'd rather turn off TV and not watch TV than watch this movie. <laughs> there you go. So it sounds like this movie goes lowest rated with Austin. I'm kind of in the middle, and Matthew is. Yeah, it seems like Matt's the most one. high. On I it. mean, like I said, I, I'm I'm high on it, but it's not because I'm personally a fan. It's just if I watch this movie, I understand why people responded to it well, because it has lots of famous actors. They're saying funny stuff occasionally, and then the ghost hunting element, kind of the whole sci-fi aspect, is used for comedy and both as like actual sci-fi stuff. So, I, like I said, it just pieces together well. Whenever I watch, I'm not sitting there laughing out loud. But that's because you know I just think there's better movies with these actors. I am excited to see uh, what they do in Ghostbusters Afterlife. I think they might get a chance to kind of go back and yeah. redefine some of these characters. So I think that's going to be cool to see. Yeah. Do you think it was this movie was? kind of awkward because of the cast like maybe they would have had, maybe it would have been better with a different cast or maybe or maybe it was only successful because of the cast i think it's only successful because of the cast but i also like i don't even think like as you guys know i'm not a big old movies person but i don't even think this is like a result of the old movie not aging well for me because we have talked about quite a few older movies on this show now that hold up just fine um i think it's really just a poorly made movie and i don't think the comedy is very funny i disagree but i respect your opinion <laughs> 
Okay, Keith, close us out today. What is your final overrated movie? All right. So my final overrated movie is The Irishman. Directed by Martin Scorsese. Cast is Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Ray Romano. Uh, there are some other uh, cameos in it, like Jim Norton as Don Rickles. We also have Sebastian Maniscalco in it for a little bit. So a former employee of the mob recalls his time working for the Buffalino crime family and their entanglement with a union man named Jimmy Hoffa. And spoiler alert, Jimmy Hoffa dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Just like real life. And this is based on a true story. Yeah, so I think this movie had potential. So this is another Scorsese movie that is based on a true story, just like Wolf of Wall Street and Goodfellas. I think this was meant to be a Goodfellas-like movie, but I think it fell way short. Uh, I don't think it needed to be three and a half hours long. There were so many small scenes in this movie that weren't really related to the overall story. I also really just didn't really jump enjoy the jumping back and forth with the flashbacks. I think it probably would have flowed better if it was just shown in chronological order, like Goodfellas or Wolf of Wall Street. I'm kind of going to say what Matt said about Ghostbusters. I think this movie is appropriately rated. I think there are some fair criticisms. Um, the biggest one, of course, being that it's too long. Um, but I think it's chock full of great performances. I find the story really interesting. Um, I like the multiple timelines. Um, I know people think the kind of CGI de-aging for Robert De Niro doesn't work that well for me. I thought it worked fine. Um, and yeah, man, I, I think this is good. I think this is a good Scorsese movie. I actually didn't mind the de-aging of Robert De Niro. That didn't bother me that much. I just thought it would have flowed better. I didn't. I don't know. The flashback thing kept going back and forth. It just kind of bothered me. And it was just so long. I just felt like this movie This movie is three and a half hours long and it felt like four and a half hours long. I think for me, I guess I kind of need to share the context of where I watched it the first time. I watched this movie on an international flight, so I had nothing but time to kill. So, you know, a three and a half hour movie is perfect for that setting. Yeah. And I, and I think I'm such a big Goodfellas fan that I think I was expecting more of a Goodfellas-esque movie, and this just didn't feel like it. Um, and I know it's not supposed to be the same as Goodfellas, but I feel like it would have it would have been better if it kind of followed that same structure. I think this one's interesting. I do agree with Keith that I think it does get to a point where their flashbacks are too much. I like a lot of them, but the amount of time we're flashing back and forward and then further back and then further forward it it does get a, it, it's a bit of a lot i think at times for sure and yeah it's definitely not one of my favorite scorsese movies but um like austin said you know the context that i watched this in was i can't remember when it came out last year it was either it was either thanksgiving or christmas so we were all home and we we're like let's go ahead and watch it you know we'll break it up over a couple of days while we're here this weekend and we actually ended up, you know, in one sitting, watched the entire thing. And we ended up liking it a lot. Um, even my brother, who's not traditionally good at like sitting in and watching movies in one sitting, he was engaged enough by it as well. So it was at least engaging. And I thought the performances were all fantastic. Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci in particular is kind of our three leads of this ensemble were all great. And then even Ray Romano, like you mentioned, and other people that felt the ensemble were also just fun to watch. Even people, like, they use a lot of comedians, and they felt like they were doing something different for a change, which that was always cool to see. Yeah, I guess I'll hit on my least favorite part, which sounds like it didn't bother you guys as much, but, uh, yeah, the CG I did find distracting, especially whenever they flash back to De Niro when he's, like, in the in the war, and so he's supposed to be, like, 20 years old, and it's one of the funniest-looking things you'll ever see. Um, <laughs> the problem is, I just will never understand why, like... They did even – they used them for wide shots too. There's a scene where Robert De Niro beats up a guy on the street. You don't see his face. It's just a wide shot. 
And it's just clearly this guy that's supposed to be like 30 years old beating up this guy, but it's actually Robert De Niro just being de-aged. So it's like a 75-year-old man trying to stomp on a guy and then walk away. It's just ridiculous. I'm not I'm not age-shaming him. It just looks so bad. It's so distracting. It's Robert De Niro, though, man. You can't replace him with a younger actor. He'd be offended. But yeah, I know. But the point is, though, the movie's three and a half hours. So there is so much content that De Niro could have realistically been in, whether it be de-aged or just... Um, you know, whenever he's playing age appropriate. So I think just for the scenes where they're going back so far, it might have been good to have a younger actor because like you can make him look younger with CG, but you can't make him look like a 20-year-old guy when he's walking or trying to run or fighting somebody. It just looks kind of silly because it's clearly a much older man. So that's where it got a bit goofy for me and a bit distracting. But yeah, it, like I said, not one of my favorite Scorsese's, but still I found it engaging enough Definitely too long, but I still found myself kind of interested in it. So maybe I'm a bit more in tune with Austin on this one. I just wasn't that interested in it. I felt like Martin Scorsese got a bit cocky on this one and just thought he could get by, you know, just by throwing in his heavy hitter Goodfellas actors in there, along with other gangster actors like De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, Harvey Keitel. And he succeeded because, I mean, they were, I mean, they was nominated for an Oscar, right? But I just felt like it was a bit pushy, as like as we're as we're supposed to like bow down to this movie just because that cast was in it, and I don't I just think the overall story wasn't written that well, and it was just somewhat boring to me. I I felt like he could have done better with a more fictional story, like more of a departed kind of movie. I think that cast paired to that director has almost earned the cockiness. This director and all these actors' resumes speak for themselves. So you pair all them up again for another movie, you're almost kind of guaranteed to have a hit. Well, that's what I was excited for because they were all in it. But then it just I just thought the story wasn't that great, and I thought it was overall a pretty boring movie. So where does this stack up among Corsese films for you guys? Probably definitely at the bottom for me. I'm more... I like Departed. I like Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I think... Yeah, even though I liked it, it's still not too high. I think Mean Streets, Casino as well um, are better. Even elements of Shutter Island and Hugo I like. Um, it's just hard to compare, I guess, with his different movies and then something like this. But yeah, it's definitely not near the top and probably... If it's maybe it's in the middle, but probably closer to the bottom half of his resume for me. I agree. I think it's in the middle for me, too. I don't certainly don't think it's the worst, but it's definitely not one of the best he's done. It's appropriately rated. Oh, well, I think it's overrated. (laughs) (laughs) Sucks. All righty. Well, before we close out and get out of here today, let's go ahead and get into our Arnie's podcast awards. This is a segment where we give an awards for anything in this episode. Keith may know the rules. He may not know the rules. It's always a surprise. Keith, what do you got for us today? I had a few in my head, but I think I'll go with the best blue person award goes to Mr. Sam Worthington. He deserves it for Avatar. That's true. That's very true. Very true. Good for him. You're allowed to give out blue person awards, Keith. That is your right. However, you are incorrect with who you gave that award to because Avatar is an overrated movie. The actual best blue person award goes to Tobias Flunke and Arrested Development. Mm, Fair, fair. I was hoping it would go to Paul Giamatti from Big Fat Liar or potentially the third guy from the Blue Man Group. All right, Matt, go ahead and close us out today. My award is going to go to the most unintentional funny line and it's christian bale asking bane where the trigger is when we went to go see this movie at the midnight premiere at this point we're three hours into this movie so it's after 3 a.m it's probably close to 3 30 and we're all probably trying to not fall asleep 
and Christian Bale beats up Bane. It's like, oh, that was so cool. And then, as we know, in Batman Begins, Christian Bale, cool Batman voice. I liked it. Then Dark Knight gets a bit more gravelly. Oh, I don't really love that. And then in this movie, he's uncomprehensible, just like Bane. He matched Tom Hardy. He bursts in the room and he goes, Where is the trigger? <laughs> it's just... We all three laughed out loud trying to fight sleep. I mean, in this crowded theater, it's so bad. So Christian Bale, great actor, but he deserves this for an unintentional funny line. And I'm also going to give a secondary uh, award today, and it is the Best Braces Award. Also go to Tom Hardy as Bane. Nice. Mm, Yes, very true. All right, that's going to do it for us today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that really is the best way to help us continue to grow the show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday to discuss the new Netflix documentary, The Holiday Movies That Made Us. We're here. It's holiday season. We have some good episodes coming up, including that holiday bracket that we're building towards, which, as you guys know, as a big fan of holiday movies, I can't wait. I love these movies. I love watching them every year. It's going to be a fun time. But like Keith mentioned at the top of the show, just because it's holiday times doesn't mean you can't check out our podcast within the podcast, The Mandos Talk on the Lorian, where we break down each episode of season two of The Mandalorian. Episode six just came out this past Sunday, so keep an eye out for episodes seven and eight in the coming weeks. And check us out on Instagram at The Arnies. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode. Did we miss any overrated movies that you thought should have made it in here? And text us your theories on the coming Mando episodes. So give us a shout. And also, if you want to go to our website, thearnies.media, we do have a newsletter there you can subscribe to to be alerted anytime a new episode drops. And we are in the planning stages for 2021, so feel free to shoot us an email with anything you'd like to hear us covered on the show. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Bye, everybody. See you. See ya. So what happens again, I'm just going to start banging the ceiling.